Good morning. Um, so we're going to have a look at this passage today. Uh, my name's Toby. I'm one of the pastors here. Great work getting out of bed, getting out into the rain to get here. A bunch of people haven't, but you were the lucky ones. Um, we're living in an age of what uh, the philosopher Charles Taylor calls an age of mutual display. And by that, he means that all of us are always on uh, because everyone's watching. Uh, he calls it an age of mutual display because each of us need to display our virtue and we do that often by posting on social media. And his idea is, Charles Taylor is a Catholic philosopher, Canadian Catholic philosopher, and he's exploring what it looks like to live in a secular age where God is dead and people don't believe in him anymore. And this is what he says, if God is dead, the only audience left to confirm our virtue is one another. And as a result, we live in what he calls the age of mutual display, where we have to display our virtue to each other. Because you can't be a human being and not uh, need a sense of righteousness. But what this mutual display, always on, virtue-signaling life leads to is a paralyzing self-consciousness, where you're constantly having to display that you are someone significant, that your life is full of meaning and happiness, and that you are truly a virtuous person by the things that you like and support and the ethical decisions that you make. You're always on, and it leads to exhaustion. Now, this seems like a very long way away from what Jesus is talking about in the first century, but this is exactly what he's talking about in the first century. So if you've got your Bible, open up Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness. In other words, be careful not to display your virtue in front of others to be seen by them. And so that's what we're going to have a look at today. Um, Let's pray and then we're going to get into this. Our God, would you open a window to your word that we might see you and all your goodness and glory, and that we might see a reflection of our own souls, that we might know how to grow and become more like the Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, as we've been saying at the start of every week, uh, we start every year as a church in one of the Gospels because... We, we believe that it's very easy as a Christian to forget how good Jesus is, and if people are visiting, uh, which they often do at the start of the year, we want them, what do we want them to know? Jesus Christ. So that's why we're in this series, and um, the last couple of weeks we've been seeing Jesus describe the kind of righteousness, the internal ethical moral life, the kind of righteousness that we must have if we're to be Jesus' disciples, and he says it needs to surpass that of the Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, We realize that when Jesus, when the Old Testament says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not break your oaths, what Jesus really wants is not merely that we would not murder, break an oath, or commit adultery, but that we would be a people who are gentle and kind, and pure, and honest, with integrity, with even love for our enemies. Jesus is saying, I don't want your righteousness to be external, I want it to be internal, of the heart, 
that you'd be moved to be the kind of person that loves God and loves their neighbor. Now, in chapter 6, Jesus now turns from moral righteousness, um, where we're not to hate, uh, cheat on our spouse, uh, break our oaths. He moves from moral righteousness to three areas of religious righteousness, giving, praying, and fasting. In other words, Jesus recognizes that righteousness has two dimensions, both moral and religious or spiritual. Now, most people in the world, they live an unbalanced life. Some assume that their main job in life is spiritual righteousness. So they go to church, they give to the poor, they read their Bible, they pray, they fast. Other people in the world, they resist that so much that they live with what they call religionless Christianity. And they assume that all Jesus calls us to is seeking justice, helping the poor, doing good, and that prayer, church going, Bible reading, fasting, they're all optional. But notice, Jesus would consider that kind of person a lopsided Christian. In chapter 5, he speaks about our heart for one another, but in chapter 6, he speaks about spiritual practices which he expects his people to be involved in, prayer and giving and fasting. And when he comes to talking about these things, he says, again, verse 1, here's the key verse, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, because if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. That's like the topic sentence under which Jesus layers his teaching on giving, prayer, and fasting in, in verses 2 to verse 18. Today we're going to look at three things. What is it that Jesus is against? What is it that he's for? And then finally, what's the secret to doing what he is asking of us here? And I'm going to ask Matt, can I get a cup of water? Thanks, brother. Okay, so first of all, what is Jesus against? Well, first thing to notice what he's not against, he's not against giving, praying, or fasting. He, uh, he's not an advocate of what some people call religionless Christianity. Uh, he expects um, people to be giving, praying, fasting. He's not against that. Second thing to notice is Jesus is not against doing these things in front of others. Now, some people are like, really? Uh, isn't that exactly what he's saying? Well, if you come down to verse 9, when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he starts off the prayer by saying, our Father in heaven. Not my Father, but our Father, which indicates Jesus is expecting us to pray together in public. If you go back to um, chapter 5, do you remember what he says in chapter 5, verse 16? He says, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your God in heaven. So the problem that Jesus is addressing, what he's against, is not you praying, giving, or fasting so that others see it. Uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. Not giving, praying, and fasting and others see that you're doing that. It's not wrong that you'd Grant just prayed up front in front of us, not wrong for that. It wouldn't even be wrong, though we don't do this, for someone else to know what you give to church, to charity, or, and it wouldn't be wrong for someone to know that you're fasting at the moment. So what is Jesus against? Well, look at it. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, 
motivated by being seen by them. That's what he's against. Practicing your righteousness in front of others that you would be seen, that you would be displaying your righteousness to others. That is what he is against here. He wants, it's, uh, so if you come down to verse 2, on giving, he says, so when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. That's what he's against. On prayer in verse 5, he says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, motivated, Here's their motivation, to be seen by others. And then on fasting, when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Now, the word that Jesus uses of these people is the word hypocrites. It comes from the Greek word, uh, there it is, upokrites, which means to be an actor or a pretender. It was the word used for anyone who treated this, the world as their stage upon which to perform. It was the word that you used to describe actors in the theatre, but it became broader than that to talk about the person who assumes a false identity, who puts on a face before others. His life is a sham. What he does in public is different from what he does in private. Jesus used this term 17 times, and he was perhaps the first to bring this term into our moral vocabulary of the Western world. When it comes to giving, praying, and fasting, the Pharisees were hypocrites. And many people today are hypocrites because they literally blew their own trumpet. Again, we get this expression from Jesus. When you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets. You know our expression, he blew his own trumpet. Jesus was the first to say that. Um, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. So there's a tendency, Jesus is saying, within all of us, that when we give, we want others to see how generous we are. It's really sacrificial <laughs> that I've given this. And, gee, I want my virtue recognized, because that was pretty hard. And so we make a little noise of who we've helped. And it's not enough that we have helped the poor, or we have helped the gospel go out. We want some credit for that. Now, one of the benefits of um, the modern world is that when we give to church, uh, we no longer pass a bucket around, uh, but we do it online, so no one does know what you give. But in former generations, we used to play, pass a plate around, and when I was a kid, you'd hear, you know, some people drop coins into the plate. You'd know, oh, wow, look at all those coins, ding, 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 right? There, oh, wow, how generous they are. You do realize that notes don't make any sound. The truly generous ones are the ones making no sound. But anyway, um, but here's the thing. I do think Christians are different. The way we give is very different to the way the world gives. I, I think you do this. You don't make, you don't announce what you give. So last, you know, every year as a church, we're a church of roughly 250 people and approximately about 100 family units give regularly every month to our church. In most years, you give about $600,000. Uh, 
100 family units, $600,000. Incredible. Every year. Last year, you gave over $1.5 million because we were raising money for the building project. Isn't that incredible? 100 family units last year, $1.5 million. And no one knows who gave what, except for me and Scott Sanders. <laughs> uh, we, no, no one knows what you gave. There's no honor board. There's going to be no plaque in the building when it's renovated. You know, Scott Sanders gave this amount. Toby Neal gave no, none of that. There's no leaderboard. He's the top giver in this church. None of that. Why then did you give? Well, simply because you want others to have a gift of a church where they can connect with Jesus. That's why you gave. And when that happens, that is your reward. If we end up in this building and people come to know Jesus, that's the reward of why you have given. Now, you compare that to the way the world does fundraising. So, just this week, um, I went to the Art Gallery of New South Wales um, fundraising page, and um, here's, here's who support the Art Gallery. It's very clear. ANZ Bank, one of the leading partners of the Art Gallery of New South Wales. This is their page thanking their supporters. And I look, well, if I was to become a supporter, what would I get out of that? And uh, I noticed, um, here's what I noticed, that they would acknowledge and give me an opportunity to be involved in the Art Gallery. And the number one thing that they're offering me by being a supporter is that I'll be invited to have my name listed on the foundation's honour board and in the relevant annual reports. Fantastic, right? Everyone's going to see my name in there. Now, this is just the standard approach to raising large donors for foundations across the world. But Jesus, you know, it's very hard not to do this. I don't, I, to be honest, I don't know any large foundation in Sydney that wouldn't do this. But this is the very thing that Jesus is against. When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The issue isn't so much that we're seen doing good, but are we doing good in order to be seen? Not, it wouldn't be wrong if I did give and they put my name in their annual report. It would be a massive problem, Jesus says, if that's why I gave to it. And the same thing goes with prayer and fasting. Don't pray in order to be seen. Don't fast in order to be seen. Now, how are you going in this regard? Do you have a tendency to practice your righteousness to be seen by others? Because Jesus' analysis of what goes wrong inside of us is profound. He's not just talking about the bad things we do, but the good things we do for the wrong reasons. He never (laughs) gives us a break, Jesus, does he? Uh, And that's because our hearts are so twisted. How many of you are more generous um, when you're walking the street and someone comes up to you raising money for World Vision when you're on a date or with you're with someone that you want to impress than when you're alone? You know, are you more generous than when you're alone or when you're with others? When you see a friend making a stupid decision that will hurt their spiritual life, do you tell them 
and have the courage to bring it up with them? Or are you more concerned to be accepted by them and to be seen as a friend than you are concerned to actually be the friend that they need in that moment? Do you come to church and community groups excited to pray, excited to discuss the Bible, but when it's just you and God, you're bored? Do you take up serving opportunities that are public and visible rather than serving in ways that, are, that no one sees and that are menial? You know, I love the band, great work band, but really we need to give a lot of honour to the sound guys who never get seen, uh, to the setup team who are here at 7.30am on a Sunday morning and we don't know who they are, um, do we? but they do it. Why do they do it? Because they love to serve Jesus, and they're happy for that to be in secret. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now, I need that reminder, um, because I need the reminder to value people more than I value their opinion of me. And uh, there's a subtle difference there, isn't it? Because if I value your opinion of me more than I value you, as a preacher, I'll be tempted to avoid speaking the whole truth, the inconvenient truth, the difficult truth. And when I do that, I won't be loving of you. My job is to be a doctor of souls, and sometimes I've got to bring a diagnosis that you may not like. But if I love you, I must bring it. Jesus is saying, do your righteous deeds for the praise of God and the good of others, not because people will praise you. Here's an illustration. Imagine an iceberg floating up to Antarctica. The uh, thing about icebergs is that when you see an iceberg, there's a little bit up the top, and if there's a little bit up the top, there's an enormous bit underneath. And Jesus is saying, that's what my followers are to be like can't help but their good deeds to kind of bubble above the surface and do you see some of the good deeds that you do in life. It's not wrong for others to see that, but there better be an enormous thing underneath the public things that you are doing. You can't help showing some of your righteousness in public, but Jesus teaches, be careful that you're not a cruise ship Christian. You know, the cruise ships, they come into Sydney Harbour, and a cruise ship is designed in such a way that there is a heck of a lot more above the water than below the water. And sadly, lots of religious people are like that. And Jesus says, not so with you. If you want to be my disciples, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who just do their good deeds to be seen to be righteous, but they're not righteous in their heart. Not so with my people. All right, that's what Jesus is against. Secondly, well, what is Jesus for? He doesn't want us doing our good deeds necessarily in private. And he says there's a difference in the way his disciples are to give, pray, and fast uh, as opposed to everyone else in the world. And the difference comes back chapter 5. He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and this is what Jesus is for, and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the difference, isn't it? That's what Jesus is for. 
the distinction Jesus is making is doing righteousness so that people would praise God and doing righteousness so that people would praise you. It's so easy to do our righteousness to draw attention to ourselves, say, oh, wow, Toby, gee's generous, gee's kind, gee's religious. But Jesus wants us doing righteousness that the response people have to it is, wow, isn't God good? Isn't God generous in providing for this for us? Jesus wants us focused on God being praised, not ourselves. And that's why he says, when you give to the needy, verse 4 again, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what he's done in secret will reward you. Now notice who Jesus wants in the dark about our giving. Not others. He wants you to be in the dark about your giving. He says, I want your left hand not knowing what your right hand is doing. He's saying when your right hand gives, make sure your left hand isn't watching and praising your right hand for what it's doing. There's a sense in which you're not even to tell yourself that you're giving. We're not to become conscious of our righteous deeds. We're not to congratulate ourselves for our righteous deeds, which is so natural for us. Uh, we're, we're to give in such a way that we're not even aware of what we're doing. For when we're self-conscious, it's inevitable that we become self-righteous. And the same goes with prayer. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. But they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, the question is, um, what is the most visible thing in your life? And if you're a Christian, though God's invisible, you see Him. You know Him. And He is bigger and more real to you than the praise anyone else in your life could give you. There's a seeing thing go, going on. That's why I've called this series Life in HD, because so many of us don't see what truly matters in HD. But the person who prays with their door closed is the one who sees the unseen God, who knows the unseen God is watching. You know, when you pray in public and you think you've done a good job, you go home and you think, gee, that was a good prayer. I prayed today in community group or in church. And you notice what you're doing there. You're, you're praising your real treasure, yourself. Gee, gee, that was a great prayer I prayed last week for the Ukraine. <laughs> oh, wow, that's what happens when I go home. And I'm praising my truth. And Jesus like, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. He is to be the one that we are praising. If your motive in giving is to be honored by men, then you'll receive your reward in full. You'll get your name written in the annual report of the art gallery. That's it. That's all you get, Jesus says. But if you give in secret, God will reward you. If you pray in secret, God will reward you. If you fast in secret, God will reward you. Well, what's the reward? Could be crowns and mansions in heaven. I've got my eye on a great house at Bronte Beach. I'm hoping that's what I'm getting when I get to heaven. Uh, it could be... Um, not a crown or a mansion in heaven. It could be 
that the reward is tied up with the very good thing that you're doing, so that the action itself has its own inbuilt reward. So if you give to the poor, the reward is seeing the, their suffering relieved. If you give to the work of the gospel, it's seeing the gospel bear fruit. If it's praying for an end to the war in Ukraine, the reward is God will hear you. Isn't that what you wanted? Isn't that why you prayed? Well, that's what you get. God will listen to you and He'll answer your prayer. The reward is tied up with the very nature of the action itself. Could be that. I think it's probably something different. And that's because notice the reward you get from doing your deed to be seen by others is their recognition and their praise. Which leads me to suspect that the reward Jesus is talking about here is the praise God will give you, the recognition He will show you, the commendation He will grant you for the thing that you are doing. Um, that's, I think, what He's talking about. And so, um, C.S. Lewis, uh, great writer, I'm listening to one of his books, audiobook at the moment. Um, uh, he did a lot of good things in England, particularly during the war. He was a radio uh, presenter, and uh, Winston Churchill offered to give him the uh, CBE, Commander of the British Order, which is the highest order uh, of the British Empire. It's extremely coveted honour, so much so that the superhero is getting it there from the Queen. No one's a Marvel fan? Come on. Anyway... Dr. Strange, right? Getting um, the order of the CBE. That was meant to be a joke. No, we got it. All right. <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, so C.S. Lewis, Winston Churchill offers him the order of the commander of the British Empire, and C.S. Lewis turned it down um, just after the war. And um, he wrote a letter to the prime minister saying, look, thank you very much for this honor, but... This is what he said. He says, there's always people who say that my religious writings are all covert, anti-leftist propaganda, and my appearance in the honours list would cause uh, their argument to be strengthened. It is therefore better that I should not appear on the honour board. You notice what he's saying? He's saying he refused to let a politician reward him for Christian service, fearing it would identify Christianity too closely to one political system. Rather than being honoured by an earthly king, C.S. Lewis allowed the honour of the King of Kings to be enough for him. And it was enough. In his famous sermon, The Weight of Glory, uh, which C.S. Lewis preached in an Anglican church in England, uh, this is what he said reflecting on our desire to please God. Uh, it's beautiful. He says, in the end, that face, which is the delight or the terror of the universe, must be turned upon each of us, either with one expression or the other, either confirming, conferring glory inexpressible or inflicting shame that can never be cured or disguised. I read the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God Himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. 
It is written that we shall stand before Him, shall appear, shall be inspected. The promise of glory is the promise, almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ, that some of us shall actually survive that examination, shall find approval, shall please God. Uh, oh, this ain't working. Can we go back one? To please God... Oh, what's going on here? Oh, <laughs> you'll do it. Thanks, Jeremy. To please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in, as an artist delights in his work, or a father in a son, it seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. You hear what he's saying there? He's like, wow you and I can actually please the God of heaven. You know, great to please Winston Churchill, he's impressed by me. Great to please the King, what was it, King George when um, C.S. Lewis was around. Great to do that, but wow, the King of heaven. I could have his favour, his faith, his commendation, his recognition. And I think that's what Jesus is speaking about in this passage. When you pray, when you give, the thing that he's really concerned about is that you would do it for the glory and the praise of God, not your own praise, that you would care about God's own recognition of you. Um, Matt Straw and I were at a church a long time ago at St. Philip's in York Street, and I remember um, there was a, you know, lots of furniture around the room, uh, this, this pulpit had been donated by this person, this Thing had been this you know thing had been donated to this person, and there was a prayer desk up the front of this church, and uh, on the prayer desk there was a little small plaque that simply read, "He knows my name," and that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. He knows my name, so you don't have to, and that's how C.S. Lewis lived, and that is how Jesus wants you to live. That's what he's for. All right, that's what he's for. Thirdly and finally, well, what's the secret to all of this? The secret to living this way comes at the heart of this section in Jesus' teaching on prayer. So have a look at what he says in verse 7 to 9. He says, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray, and He starts, our Father in heaven. Now, Jesus contrasts here two basic ways of approaching God, and these are two basic ways that we approach one another, and they are business relationship, which is, I have something for you, and a family relationship, which is, I am something to you. A business relationship is all about performance. You perform for me, I'll perform for you. But in family relationships, it's all about your status. In a business relationship, if I perform, then you'll accept me. But in a family rate relationship, because I'm already accepted, I want to perform for my family. Now, Tim Keller has a great example of this. He says, you know, there are two different ways you could possibly live in someone's house. You could live in a house as a renter, or you could live in a house 
as part of the family. If you're a renter, the owner's your landlord. You can have a great relationship with them so long as you pay the rent. As long as you respect the property, you keep the rules, you pay the rent, the landlord will be happy with you. What is the relationship? It's a business relationship. I have something for you. There's an interchange of goods and services. But the other way that you can live in a house is not as a renter, but as someone in a family. You can live in the home of your parents as a child. And in that home, there are still expectations. There's still a way that you can please one another and draw the joy out from each other. There, there still will be rules. Do this, don't do that. But your relationship is based not on your performance. It's based on your status of being in the family. Jesus says you can approach God in two ways. You can pray like the pagan, coming to God on the basis of your performance, the eloquence of your prayers, the morality of your life, or you can pray as Jesus teaches, you come to God on the basis that you are a child of God. And that's why Jesus, when he's teaching us to pray, he doesn't say, hey, pray this way, our king in heaven. He doesn't, although God is our king, he doesn't say our creator in heaven. That's not wrong to address your prayer to the creator. He doesn't even say Lord God, but that's often how we pray. He says, predominantly, we ought to be a group of people who pray our father in heaven because of the privilege of being in relationship. It's not a business relationship. It doesn't depend on how good or bad I've been each week. It depends on his grace and his commitment to me. And that's the gospel. That's what Christianity is about. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means that you put your faith in Jesus, you trust him, and when you do that, you get adopted into the very family of God and you have all the access to the Father as any natural-born son or daughter would have. Now, notice that adoption doesn't immediately change the heart of a kid. If you adopt a kid from a bad background, he's still going to be naughty, he's still going to be messed up, he's still going to break all the rooms, rules in your house. But over time, as he comes to see your love, your kindness, your gentleness, his heart will change. Why? Because of your commitment to him. His status as belonging to your family legally, that you now have a duty to love and to care this kid that isn't your blood, but which you have pledged to look after in commitment, in love, in acceptance, that slowly will change the heart of that kid. And Jesus is saying, what is the secret to giving, praying, fasting, doing your righteous deeds so that you wouldn't need the praise of anyone else in the world, it comes from the heart of a child that is stoked to be doing things for their dad in heaven. Yesterday, uh, I took Archer to try out for soccer. It was grading day over at Moore Park. And uh, he had his boots on, he had his shin pads on, and he ran out onto the field and they were testing him, you know, how well can he pass, how well can he dribble, how well can he tackle someone. And 
based on how well he performs, he will get graded and he'll go into A grade, B grade, C grade, D grade, E grade. I'm not sure which one he's going to go into, but he didn't care about any of that. He had a great time. He ran back off the field. He came and gave me a massive high five and a hug afterwards. Why? Because he wasn't living for the grade. He was living for the praise of his dad who was standing on the sidelines proud of him. And that's what we do as Christians. We're assured of God's love and acceptance. And yet when we do things for him, we know that his heart fills up with affection for us. So we don't need the affection of others. We don't need the praise of others. And so we can actually get on with doing good for the sake of the poor, for the sake of the war in the Ukraine, and for the sake of humbling ourselves when it comes to fasting. No one else needs to know that you're doing it. If they see, fantastic, great, who cares? You're an iceberg. There's a lot more under the surface than there is above. That's what Jesus is calling us to, Vine Church. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that this would truly, uh, that this truly would be um, how we would live. That we'd be so captured by our place in your family, by your love, your affection, that we would live our lives for your praise, your glory, your honour, even your, the recognition and commendation we will receive by you. Help us to do the good things, whether we're praised for it or, or, or persecuted for it, so that others might see you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.